0: In today's episode, I have a conversation with Taylor Lowe, a University of Calgary graduate who transitioned from academia into a career with clinical trials. We discuss the importance of finding a career that aligns your skills with your passions, and Taylor offers advice on taking the leap into industry. We dive into what specific jobs look like day to day within the three pillars of pharmaceutical companies, clinical research organizations, and site networks. We end off by discussing some underrated skills you learn throughout your graduate studies and how to leverage these to land a career. Stay tuned to find out more. Hello everyone, my name is Holly Vogel. And it is my pleasure to be joined on the podcast by Taylor Lowe, a University of Calgary Master's in Biomedical Technology graduate who has since transitioned from academia into industry with a current position at Centricity Research, a clinical trial network located across North America, conducting phase one to four trials in over 35 therapeutic areas. Welcome to the podcast, Taylor. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. So to start, can you give the listeners a summary of what your previous academic experience at the University of Calgary looked like, as well as what your current position looks like within Centricity Research?
1: Yeah, so I'll start by saying I love neuroscience, and so I had finished my undergrad in neuroscience, knew I wanted to pursue some sort of postgrad or post-undergrad work in the neuroscience field, and that in Lethbridge, where I did my undergrad, the HBI sends professors to do weekly lectures in your fourth year, and so I had been able to... To meet some really great professors such as Dr. Borgland, um, Dr. Quentin Pittman, um, and just a bunch of others that I can't remember because it's been you know seven years now. But anyways, and I knew um, I definitely wanted to continue in the neuroscience path. Um, so I then came to Calgary and entered the lab of Dr. Borgland, doing electrophysiology research, um, looking at reward seeking in like the ventral tegmental area, of course, um, at orexin and dynorphin. So my my work was primarily at the lab bench. Um, But what I realized about a year and a half in is I didn't like being at the lab bench at all. I had, I knew that this wasn't for me, but it was scary to drop out of a PhD program. But I'll never forget going and chatting with Dr. Borgland and saying, I'm not really enjoying my program or not, not the program, but my project and um, et cetera. And she said, well, what, what do you like about research? And I got... I got thinking. That's a great question because what I liked about undergrad was learning in class about neuroscience and doing some research with animals at the time. Um, but what do I like now that is my own project? And I decided I like being able to tell my grandparents like, the cool research that's going on at the HBI or some cool fact about you get an injury in your brain here and then this is some this is what happens to the person. So I liked explaining research, but I didn't necessarily like doing research. So she got to giving me some ideas about um, like science communication and. Um, a couple other programs at the UC that could be a good fit, and she had mentioned the MBT program. And so I had looked into that, and I'm like, this seems great. It's a nice bridge into learning about industry and kind of what else is out there for people who enjoy research um, and, you know, want to be more involved in a career after like outside of academia. Um, so then I entered the MBT program, which is a one year non thesis based master's program where you learn everything there is to know about kind of um, startup of bio like biomedical companies as well as clinical trials and regulatory affairs and everything you need to know about creating a drug or a device and getting it to market. And then you end with an internship. So then I had a really great time in that program, learned so much, but even then I didn't really know what exactly was out there for jobs. So thankfully I, using my connections with the HBI, I was able to get an internship, um, on a PTSD trial in, um, one of the labs here and that kind of exposed me to the patient experience in in neuroscience research and all my work had been done in animal models and i had been completely blind to all the experiences there were with people i thought this is where i could really have like a career because i love chatting about research but i don't want to touch a pipette again so anyway um after my internship i happened to just get really lucky looking through um, some Google postings, definitely applied for a few jobs that were completely out of my, um, my skill set at the time and were for people who are 10 years into the industry compared to what I was. Um, so I got really lucky with a coordinator position at the time with LMC Matter Research. Um, being a coordinator is like being someone's guide through clinical trials. So you, you, you help enroll the patients, you become their best friend, You help them through their visits, help explaining the medication, what they're taking to them. Um, Again, you're you're their guide for four or five years in a clinical trial. Um, And it's a really rewarding job where you get to see the real benefits of access to new medications for patients. But over through COVID, I got really lucky in that LMC MANA research was able to expand um, due to a ton of vaccine work as well as other therapeutic area work. And we eventually became Centricity Research after merging with an American company called IACT Health. Once we merged, uh, I was in a position to take advantage of some intern, like middle-level jobs that were suited to my experience of, of, from being a coordinator for four years. So that like led to where I am now, which is a project manager for Centricity Research. So, half my days are spent um, working in diabetes and um, obesity, hypertension, and cardiovascular trials for our Canadian sites, and there's about 20 of them. Um, working on um, study startups, so we get awarded a study. How can we best succeed at this? Um, I help outline which sites I think in Canada would be best fit for trial A based on their ongoing pipeline or based on even just the personality of the doctors at the site or the staff so sort of knowing the in and outs of the pipeline for every site in Canada and then the other half of my day is spent growing new sites helping um, expand our network um, and also growing therapeutic areas at some of our baby sites that are only doing for example vaccine research.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah I think that's really cool I think it's really important like you said finding this career that aligns with your skill sets with your passions which for you was was less so in this preclinical research and more so on the clinical side of things, which I think is true for a lot of people within the HBI, but they don't really know how to bridge that gap and make that transition. So, for a little more information, can you touch on what the day to day was like in a clinical trial coordinator role, as well as what your current role looks like now?
1: Yeah, so clinical trial coordinator, they are with the patient every single day, they're having patient visits and taking their blood pressure explaining the protocol to them, helping them with any medication questions, and you work closely with the doctor at the clinical research site that's overseeing the trial, who is like the, the main like dele- like delegate for the study. Um, so you work closely with them to guide the patients and keep them safe and note any side effects or changes in their medical um, status that may occur throughout the trial. Most of the studies I worked on um, were phase three, so really long term looking at, if a drug actually works or not in the population that it's targeting. So a lot of my trials i worked on were once with drugs called ozempic, which I'm sure everyone's heard of by now, looking at if it helps control weight um, weight management in type 2 diabetics, as well as can it prevent future heart attack and stroke? Can it um, prevent kidney outcomes? So these are what we call outcome trials. So you really get to know the patients, and not every clinical trial coordinator will work in primarily phase 3 trials. A lot of them will work in really fast-paced, like phase 1 or phase 2, where they're act- asking really specific questions about like pharmacokinetics or um, interaction. With other meds, anyways, but phase three was an opportunity for me to use my relationship skills and form um, great relationships with patients and watch their journey throughout a, a clinical trial. And some of them are even ongoing from when I started as a coordinator way back in 2019. So they they definitely go on for quite a while. So again, you as a coordinator, you get those really important relationships with patients, and you're seeing the trial progressing day to day, and you're at the forefront of all these new protocols and. Um, you're really experiencing what a clinical trial is like every single day. So over my couple years as a coordinator, um, getting experience with many different versions of trials and a few different therapeutic areas, started to gain some skills and become a bit more senior uh, in my research company at the time, LMC Mana Research, which is now Centricity. Um, As I gained more skills and a bit more seniority, I was able to help other sites with new staff, um, explaining, oh, with these sorts of trials, this is what you want to look for, or here's some ways where you can keep patients engaged in the trial, even though it's five years. So I was able to use a lot of the skills I had gained to educate our new coordinators at our other sites throughout Canada, and eventually gain a role where I helped guide which studies were going to which sites. So um, my work now as a project manager, again, half of it is working in the therapeutic area, helping with uh, relationship with the set, like sponsors that bring the studies to us. So As a network, we have the patients and access to the doctors, but a company such as Novo Nordisk, the makers of Ozempic, they have the drug, but they need the patients. So they come to a network like ours and many others that have these sites, and they will ask us, which sites you think would do best with this study, and how many patients do you think you could enroll? So my job is to tell them that, and then make sure we execute on our promises. So eventually, I just was able to gain enough experience in the clinical trials um, I had been working in, and how I, and all my people management with all the patients, and be able to help uh, new staff and new sites, and fe- and help our guidance with future work for the endocrine and therapeutic um, area. But I... I just kind of had my hands in everything because I had um, a bit of seniority. So things started to get a little too easy. You know, when you <laughs> I wouldn't say easy. There's always some surprises, like lots of paperwork to yeah. do. But um, I was able to get my hands into a lot of these middle management work roles and also just by asking questions and knowing who to offer some help to. Um, led me to this whole other area where I'm working with our growth department. So that's where we look at new sites that we could onboard into our network, look at what is the research landscape like in that area, where are our competitors, and what therapeutic area could we bring to that site, whether it be ones that I'm comfortable with just from my experience, which are diabetes and cardiovascular trials, or is there like a big dermatology Um, need in that area or a vaccine research need or even things like Alzheimer's and CNS work we're starting to get into. So I help with onboarding new sites and also adding new therapeutic pipelines to current sites. One of the big unanswered questions in clinical research is of course Alzheimer's. So helping to create some new memory clinics and some resources for patients in areas such as the greater Toronto area and we've added some of That therapeutic area to our pipeline out at one of our sites in toronto so that's been part of my work on the growth team as a project manager a lot of it's following up and making sure people are doing what they need to be done or need to be doing i should say Um, but that's where just uh my people skills have really come into play by being able to form relationships and know that and people knowing that they can count on me to get them where they need to go and also follow up on things for them
0: yeah yeah for sure very cool thank Thank you for sharing that transition there it's really interesting so so if someone uh is sort of nearing the end of their graduate studies are they looking for these more coordinator roles as an entry into this clinical trials or industry in general or what should they be sort of looking for on job postings. Yeah.
1: So one thing I forgot to mention earlier is you don't need to be a nurse to do these roles. And I think that's a lot people, a lot of them will think it's, Oh, you have to be a nurse because there's sometimes a phlebotomy aspect, but no, I, you definitely don't need to be a nurse and being a coordinator isn't necessarily always the first thing you need to get into. That's just the typical hierarchy of clinical trials is being a coordinator and actually getting your hands at the site level and working with patients and seeing what the clinical trial journey is like. Um, and then we'll we'll get into some of the the next jobs after that but I think it's really important to utilize your alumni network I know networking is a lot of work and it doesn't always like pan out to something but it's a great place to start to look at what else is out there I'll never forget when I was doing my PhD which I then dropped out of which is a great interview question let me tell you when people ask you (laughs) what's something hard you've done um but anyways um, it was at the time 13% of graduate students end up staying in academia and mm-hmm. becoming a professor. So, right then, there's here's, here's some math 87% of graduate students are post grad and academics need to eventually do something else. And um, what does industry really entail? So, there is so much else out there. And I think being looking at the institution level and seeing what postings are available is probably the best place to start. Jobs like mine in private industry are like they're definitely out there Um, but there are so many at like within Alberta Health Services or at the institution level that aren't in a lab they're more like working with like research networks or things like that Um, but the HBI actually has a lot of great alumni who are doing a variety of different industry positions that you can always reach out to and ask how they found it and there there was also another stat I was looking at a few weeks ago, and it said a lot of people happen upon clinical research jobs by accident just because they didn't know it's out there. And then like 0% of people were ever exposed to this as a job in high school. So it's something you really need to do your own research on and utilize your alumni network for sure to see what else is out there um, besides just being a coordinator.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think a lot of people say, you know, you got to make sure that you're networking and reaching out to people. But I think... Yeah, really utilizing the HBI network is really important. Yeah. yeah. yeah, So could you touch on, you had mentioned that you had applied for a role that you weren't necessarily qualified for. I think a lot of people leaving their graduate degree may find themselves in a similar position. So can you touch on, you know, maybe how you knew you weren't qualified for it or how you sort of happened upon this?
1: Yes. So this was just after I finished my, like, the MBT program and I was completing the internship in the PTC trial that was ongoing at the HBI um, and I was just Googling clinical research jobs at Calgary. <laughs> so, and of course, the first one that pops up is something was called a clinical research associate or a CRA. I, I looked at the requirements and it was experience in clinical trials, experience with Health Canada, experience with writing protocols, et cetera. Things that I had done in different modules throughout the MBT program. So I knew these terms and I knew what what Health Canada looks for in a drug approval. And I knew, <laughs> thought I had the research experience or the clinical research experience that they had been asking. But what I didn't realize is the term was something that was way out of my current qualifications. And I'll, wh- what I wanted to touch on is that there's all these terms, and I'm really sorry if I use them throughout this podcast. It's You get really into these acronyms and these terms in clinical research, but this, a CRA was what's also called a monitor. So as, when I was a coordinator, I eventually figured out what that meant. And Um, After I had applied for the job, I had gotten an email back saying, thank you so much for applying, Taylor. Unfortunately, we're looking for someone with about 10 more years experience, but please keep in touch for future work. So, And this was um, a company called Medpace, which is a contract research organization. So they're hired by companies that make the drugs like Eli Lilly or Pfizer, Roche. They're hired by them to run the trial for them. So there's all these different terms and it might get confusing, but just apply because a connection is a connection regardless. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I had, didn't even know what that term meant, even after being in the MBT programs, because there's so many different acronyms. So it all worked out in the end though. So, <laughs> but I want to touch a little bit on that hierarchy in yeah. clinical trials, if that's okay. So I entered as a coordinator and that's again, like the, I wouldn't say entry level, because it's not, but you're um, sort of at the... The, the lowest level of the clinical research chain where you're dealing with the patients and guiding them through the trial and completing their visits, um, et cetera. And the next step is what would be called a monitor. So they're either employed by the pharmaceutical company themselves, such as Nova Nordisk, or they're implied by a contract research organization such as ICON or IQVIA, you'll be able to find these companies if you ever search them. So monitor's job is to make sure the work we're doing follows the protocol and we're not doing anything sketchy like falsifying data, (laughs) but they come and audit our work and make sure everything's going as it should so that if the company was ever to be audited by Health Canada, like before they submit their drug for approval, all the work has already been checked by the monitor. So a monitor is sort of a role where you travel a lot um, throughout the week, like across Canada, and you go to different sites and different clinics, and you check the work of other people. So if you're someone who doesn't, you know, you don't mind being alone a little bit of the time, it's a great job and a good opportunity to see a few places. I mean, you're not going to Mexico City, but you're going to, you know, Toronto, Vancouver, um, Saskatoon, um, Montreal, lots of places throughout Canada that where you can touch you can touch on or visit friends that you, don't, like, you haven't seen in a while or even do a little bit of sightseeing. So good job if you want to travel, and a lot of the work is also remote. Then after a monitor is what is is often a project manager for the pharmaceutical company. So they essentially the manager of the monitors, and they look at all the monitors throughout Canada for this one trial and make sure that trial is everything's going to plan as it should for um, in that country. Um, Their jobs is way more focused on metrics, but I'm also a project manager, but on the site side. So, I would say clinical research is a little bit like a triangle where there's a clinical research site, a contract research organization, and a pharmaceutical company. And you all work together to get good data out and data that makes sense for drug applications so that patients who take it after, who when it's on the market are safe and they've been represented in the trial. So, you all sort of work together, and there's lots of different roles in between. But um, there's my current job is working within the site network as a project manager with all the roles I've already said. And it's I love being with the site network, and rather than with the with like the pharmaceutical sponsor, because I'm able to still go and see colleagues. I'm able to have some organic growth. Um, of our network and it's really rewarding i'm also not you know sort of isolated just at home alone all the time but so yeah there's lots of growth opportunities within the site network within an actual pharmaceutical company or with a contract research organization Um, and keep in mind this is the research side of things but all these groups also have like marketing jobs or um, just straight up recruitment jobs or um, like community engagement coordinators who work to you know, go to like heart and stroke events and help get the word out there about some of our ongoing work in the space. So lots of jobs that aren't just like patient focused um, or trial focused.
0: Yeah, very cool. It's neat to conceptualize this triangle you mentioned of pharmaceutical (laughs) industry, CRO and clinical trial site. Can you speak to what uh, sort of Opportunities look like within Calgary, being able to work um, at a site or remotely, and what that would sort of look like.
1: Yeah, so Alberta's a bit unique. I wouldn't say we're a desert, but a lot of the clinical trial work is like, is academic and. I was going to say academic, sorry, is institution-based. So it's going to be at your hospitals or at clinics within hospitals and not as many at freestanding clinics. I was really lucky with my first role in that. It was the one freestanding, or one of two clinics at the time in Calgary that were conducting research for a site network organization. Um, A lot of the work is, of course, in Toronto and actually not even in Vancouver, in Toronto. But... Because of post-COVID, a lot of more things have become remote. And so there's a lot more opportunity for jobs. I would say a good chunk of the clinics that are conducting research are, again, in institutions, but they're not necessarily tied to the institution. So um, it's a good place to start looking for jobs. But there's other clinics that are conducting research that um, you can always ask about. I do get a lot of like internship requests at our site from um there's like a diploma program here in calgary i wouldn't say that's the best route just because you don't need extra education i think uh, coming out of the hbi you already have all the skills that you'll need um it's just using your network and finding what exactly you love because there's way more in industry than clinical trials like i said Mm -hmm. um but even chatting with um, physicians or professors about their industry connections are some would be some good opportunities
0: yeah yeah for sure Okay, so bringing it back to that triangle you had mentioned of these three sort of main pillars of uh, clinical trials industry being CROs, site networks, and pharmaceutical uh, companies, can you touch on what sort of roles for a a new grad out of the HBI would look for within a pharmaceutical company?
1: Yes. So you obviously do a lot of writing and a lot of papers and a lot of science communication. So there is a ton of work within the pharmaceutical company, not just being at the lab and looking for new molecules and doing that, but doing science communication, um, worldwide patient engagement and just general project management. So think about like your own programs or your own, uh, (laughs) See <laughs> so yeah, I've been out of the HBI for so long, I forget <laughs> the words, but um, like your own experiments and your own projects. There you go. There's all these different pieces that you're running. So you're already sort of like a coordinator. You're already your own monitor. You're already your own project manager overall. You can get into working with a company such as Nova Nordisk and work as the trial manager for the pharmaceutical company without having to have that prior clinical trial experience because it's really just about making sure people are following up um, making sure they're accountable, being able to communicate effectively. So a lot of these skills you already have from grad school will apply to some of these jobs and directly with the pharmaceutical company. Um, and some of those jobs could be um, global-level marketing work, such as, hey, how do we get this message about this trial out? Or how do we get this message about this initiative out? For example, Nuvo Nordisk just celebrated 100 years of their insulin patent, um, or, or of not their insulin patent, but the insulin patent that came from the University of Toronto, there was all this amazing work and community engagement events that were taking place that they have all their people from Copenhagen going to different parts of the world and having events and so and a lot of their staff works remotely in Canada, the US everywhere there's lots of jobs that are with directly with the pharmaceutical company where you're using just your skills gained from running your own project that you can use um, other jobs and it's a good to look at which companies, run their own trials in which utilize contract research organizations honestly youtube has been a great was a great resource for me at figuring out all of these acronyms and what they meant um and they have really there's um, a company or a, a channel called gcp mindset sort of sort of nerdy that means good clinical practice but they have these sessions where they um, talk about jobs in clinical trials and what that means such as data management um, clinical trial supply coordinator all these different things that you can do from home or um, that work, we work with the pharmaceutical sponsor and you maybe even go live in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would
0: be nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Um, we'll have to check out that YouTube channel. So what would you say then the typical qualifications are for people applying for these roles within this hierarchy of positions within clinical trials? Yeah, yeah.
1: so a coordinator <laughs> will be someone who can multitask, um, has good communication skills and great interpersonal relationship skills as well as like time management skills. You have a lot of patient visits throughout the week. You have trials that are more important because they're recruiting at the time. You have trials that are ongoing where they're important, but... You can need to focus elsewhere and prioritize your schedule for some of these more important trials. You also have things that happen that you have to report (laughs) within 24 hours, such as something that's called a serious adverse event. So even if you had the best of intentions for your week, sometimes things are are thrown at you that you have to complete right away just for patient safety. So being able to manage your time effectively is one of those skills. Um, In terms of like actual credentials, a coordinator really only needs a bachelor's, but more work does lead to, you know, higher in the ladder positions or um, higher salary positions and just, you know, a bit more oomph to your resume for sure. And again, I've said this a few times, you don't have to be a nurse. You don't necessarily need phlebotomy experience, but experience in explaining um, what research is and like what this molecule is in an effective manner for patients. And then the next step is being a monitor. And usually a monitor um, doesn't even necessarily have to have many years of um, clinical trial clinical trial experience or coordinator experience their job is to be super analytical so their skill sets would be someone who is really detail oriented doesn't mind looking at someone's handwriting and flipping through five years of a patient binder and making sure that the site is you know not doing anything that they shouldn't be or is following the protocol as they should so someone that's really detail oriented doesn't mind being on their own um, and has a bit of their own yeah you have to be motivated to to be a monitor for sure in all roles but you even more so because you work alone quite a lot but most monitors i would say have at least one to two years of being a coordinator or being a clinical research assistant for the contract research organization and that as a typical ladder but and there's a big shortage of monitors and they so these cro's will want people who are Educated and driven to come into these roles because there's a big shortage in the industry right now, and a shortage in the industry means that they're not checking the work effectively, which could eventually lead to like audit problems. So um, they have these new programs where even if you only have one year of experience as like a research assistant, um, they will bring you in for monitoring roles, um, just so that they could because they they need them and it's some someone again who's detail oriented. Um, would do well in that role. And then trial manager, again, the, the manager of monitors, they are need at least, you know, five years of clinical trial experience, um, executing protocols and understanding the clinical trial landscape in their region. And so they manage trial A and know it's at 10 sites in Western Canada. How are those sites metrics looking? Why is recruitment delayed? Um, what are some barriers we're facing, you know, why does this site have 20 patients but these sites have zero, or why does this site have 30 like serious adverse events and why do these sites have nine. It doesn't necessarily mean the site with all of them is bad, it just means other sites aren't reporting, so maybe we need some more effective monitoring there. So they allocate their monitors to sites based on risk, so a bit more experience needed there, and an understanding of GCP guidelines. So those are from you probably have heard these terms, but the Declaration of Helsinki was after World War II, talking about guarding, safeguarding um, the rights of people in clinical trials and in human research. Um, and eventually we have our current um, ICHGCP guidelines that protect the integrity of patients in trials, as well as protect the integrity of the data. So someone who's really into these regulations would be a good uh, like trial manager and keeps track of the stat- The the, uh, the um, progress of the trial um, in their region.
0: Yeah. Oh, very cool. It's nice to hear your perspective on, yeah, what would make a good, uh, what would be a good fit for these specific roles. So for people who still want to get into industry, um, what kinds of careers then are available outside of the clinical trial sort of realm?
1: So when I did the MBT program, a lot of the focus of it was on, like, starting your own biotech company or getting a drug you have to market, like how you would do that. So really... What, we, what you call um, startup companies. Um, and there's lots of really great startup resources here in Calgary. So a, a job that besides clinical trials in the industry space is definitely working at a startup. And a great example of an alumni who's doing this is Dion Kelly. Um, I'm sure you've, yeah, you know Dion, And she actually is an MBT graduate as well. So she had that passion for creating a startup and combined it with her PhD project and now is doing what she's doing. Um, so working at a startup, for someone who very entrepreneurial spirit, um, really good at creating connections and networking, that would be the job for you. Working in a startup doesn't have to necessarily mean you're the CEO. It could also mean you are their salesperson, or you're their business manager, or you're working in the lab. If you really like working in the lab, you're helping them, you know, on a more like scientific level. Or even if you you're good with money and you're able to help them find like partnerships with finance or, or financial investors and angels. Which are angel investors. So that's the whole startup realm and then there's of course pharmaceutical sales. And that's not just for like medications, it's also like device sales. Um, so even there's opportunities for people who do like proprioception research or just research on like kinetics to work in medical devices that work on like knee replacements. So understanding the body in a neuro like from you know like a neuro perspective can lead to jobs in the sales space that aren't just selling drugs, it's also I shouldn't say selling drugs, but <laughs> but also working in device sales and putting your passion for you know your history of sports medicine, for example, to into a different route. And then, of course, on the other side of sales, there is working as a pharmaceutical sales rep and going to clinics and chatting with physicians about drug such as Ozempic and how it's um, available on the market for these populations so someone who wants to be a sales rep is a really great people person really good at interpersonal skills and communication um, and really is a, a go-getter and doesn't mind you know sitting up by their own, on their own in an office for a few hours before the doctor has time to see them and their job is to um, highlight to the physicians what this drug is approved for who it would benefit and really 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 quick stats so you have like one minute so being really good at elevator pitches would be a good makes a good sales rep. But I think a lot of HBI graduates have the opportunity to eventually become an MSL, which is called a medical science liaison. So that's sort of in sales, but it's more or less in research, where you're able to talk about the work that is off label or the current trials that are ongoing for certain medication, even if it's approved. So, for example, you could be an MSL for Ozempic, and Ozempic's already on the market for certain indications such as weight loss or blood sugar control. But the MSL could talk about the trials that Ozempic has ongoing for chronic kidney disease control and diabetics or cardiovascular disease. So you get to be more academic and research focused, but still work for the pharmaceutical company in a sales matter and visiting clinics throughout the city and talking, you know, it's always fun to talk off label because to see what's upcoming, um, and we have a HBI alumni who is an MSL for Nova Nordisk, uh, Rafi. So he, I'll never forget seeing him in the clinic when I was seeing with my patients it was like hey hey oh <laughs> I remember seeing you on the mouth in the mouse room you know <laughs> so um great role great potential future roles for for HBI alumni another one is actually Alex Draczynski she's a MSL for Boehringer Ingelheim another pharmaceutical company and I believe her work her research was on MS and now she's working in like specialty therapeutics for um, BI um, at like monoclonal antibodies so things that she already hadn't gotten from her research experience like specialized research and she's now using as an MSL and a lot of her skill like their skills from presenting etc and science communication would lean into being an MSL. And then other roles, there's just so many, but there's other roles such as working with journals or directly with science communication companies. Plus, another really great alumni to chat with would be Chris Draczynski, Alex's husband. And he works for Circle Neurocardio- Neurovascular Imaging. Um, and he's already like their developer or their director of business development. So he has this experience and understanding of the brain and you know imaging techniques of the brain that we all got from Neuro2 that he has been able to, when he goes out and connects with partners for their imaging software, has been able to utilize. And there's a couple other alumni who work for this company in something called Regulatory Affairs and Quality. So Quality is making sure that the work you're doing um, follows like your company's SOPs and working procedures and you're sort of following the rules as per Health Canada guidance and things like that. But a lot of roles that are can be clinical trial-based, but if you're working for a startup, they're more, like, company-focused, if that makes sense. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. Very neat to hear, yeah, the different skill sets that would align best with these different roles. So I thought it would be neat to talk about, you know, like, we sort of what skills in grad school that you don't necessarily realize that you have or that you're not necessarily marketing appropriately on, say, your resume or cover letter.
1: Yeah, I think three things like communication, um, interpersonal skills and like leadership. And I guess one more faci- like facilitator, <laughs> but you think about your projects and your, are everything in your own project. And so you're doing, um, your scholarship writing for it. You're doing your like thesis writing, you're doing, um, you're writing for journals and for reviews, and um, you're also, of course, you know, doing other communication in the classes that you take, such as presenting on topics that aren't necessarily your specialty in some of, <laughs> like in neuro two. Um, but being able to summarize complicated science and complicated mechanisms of action to the layperson is the biggest skill that you can take from grad school. Um, and I know that might you know, be, I've touched on that a few times with science communication, but it really is such an important tool because a lot of the work I originally was doing was consenting patients and explaining what it's like to be in a trial, um, what a medication can do, and all these things, but explaining it to someone who's 78 years old and um, isn't maybe too familiar with a lot of the terms. And so communication is definitely the biggest skill. And I would say leadership and being able to advocate effectively for those that require, require it. So um, in the HBI, there's Everyone's so great at advocating for their project and being the leaders of their own project. Um, and so being able to see, like lead your patient through um, a clinical trial and be their advocate and um, guide them is key. I mean, that's just more for clinical trials, but that lead, those leadership skills that everyone has for leaving the HBI um, are great in any of these roles I discussed, like MSL um, sales, going into, Like even regulatory affairs or data management things like that. And then the last thing I wanted to touch on was this was huge for me, and this is how I knew I had a career outside of academia. (laughs) Were my interpersonal skills honestly the best thing that one of the best things that came from the HBI besides my husband? (laughs) (laughs) Was um, all the friendships I made and the interpersonal skills I developed, being able to talk to anybody from you know the (laughs) the human side of the HBI to the mouse side of the HBI. To I guess even like the computational side of the HBI, <laughs> not just humans and animals, um, but just making the like making those friendships, but also more importantly, creating relationships with a lot of the professors here. Um, I'll never forget having great conversations with Dr. Pittman about industry jobs that were out there, what I had told him I was doing after leaving um, the Borgland lab, and um, hearing his support and he, thinking that would be a good fit. So those. It goes align, like, along with communication, but I think interpersonal skills is being able to remember aspects about people and bring them back and being able to make a group feel comfortable and being able to effectively negotiate different personalities. And you do a lot of that, of course, uh, as a grad student because you're managing your PI, you're managing um, you know, the office, like actual university um, types, um, you're, um, everyone who's on your committee. There we go. Uh, everyone who's on your committee. All your classmates, your lab mates, managing these relationships for some pretty intense years. Um, Those skills are definitely utilized throughout a career in industry as well. And I, you know, I never was in diabetes and endocrinology work, although it oddly kind of aligns with what the organ lab was doing at the time, although my work was reward seeking. But I didn't need to know um, like the history of endocrine and metabolic research, I just needed to know. How can I explain how this drug works to this patient that wants to join this trial? And how can I make them know that they're going to enjoy being on this trial with me as their coordinator?
0: So thank you so much for sharing with us this sort of pathway on how you got to your current position um, and your journey through the University of Calgary. Uh, do you have any advice for people who are sort of afraid to take that next step into their future career role, or deciding to switch fields in that sort of sense?
1: Don't be afraid to talk to your PI. And I know it's <laughs> it sounds weird, but for me, I had left it late, and the <laughs> it was um, I had left it really late, and I was delaying um, like arranging my um, like some of my committee meetings, and eventually just got the gusto to go and chat with Steph. And she was really, really encouraging. And like again, I had mentioned it earlier, but had told me or had asked me a question of, what do you actually really enjoy about research? And what do you like what you're doing now besides electrophysiology? And as soon as she was really encouraging, it just felt like a weight off my shoulders. I was able to be really honest about what I enjoyed um, and where, what I saw myself doing. And she gave me some ideas. And so even though I, you know, felt like, oh what a failure. I'm dropping out of a PhD. It it doesn't matter because I ended up in a career that I really, really love and would never have found if I had just stuck it out for something I wasn't passionate about. And I'm not saying you have to be passionate about your project all the time. Of course there's gonna be bad days and good days, but I was passionate for like the wrong reasons. I just mm-hmm. really liked being in grad school and having all of the friendships. <laughs> but again, don't be afraid to take chances and to um, at this rate, there's a lot of really great alumni who are in, are in industry and chatting with them about how they transitioned from um, academia into industry um, and how they were able to turn their project around. So don't be afraid to reach out to them. It was definitely a weird transition time. Um, and at the time, I didn't even have the MBT program in my back pocket yet. But once I gave myself the freedom to look at other options, I was able to find this program and thought it was a good transition for me while I um, saw what else was out there Um, just being in school again I even looked at things like the pharmacy program at the University of Alberta and a few other ideas um, but eventually really got lucky but also was inquisitive enough to be able to get lucky just because I put that work in to find what was out there.
0: Okay so now that you're sort of within this clinical trials network how do you see your career unfolding in the future? I
1: have been in my current role for the past year and a half like I mean my promotion role and my role that isn't just as a coordinator and I every day I'm learning more and I'm learning about how to um, write physician contracts for new onboarding physicians in Nova Scotia or new um, potential clinics that could be brought into our network in Ontario so I see myself eventually becoming a potential director Um, or working at our strategic partnerships level and helping grow our network both organically with new sites and through mergers and acquisitions. And so a lot of these, I eventually see myself getting way more of a business background as well, which is something I never would have thought I would eventually get into because there's all these terms that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that I don't particularly understand, but I do find myself being more involved in the business side of our company now. And so being, I think as i gain more experience potentially doing a project management or like a pmp designation would be a good route and um even working with with my company on potential like um going into to do my masters um, in business or masters of management would be potential options for then being able to be a, an asset for centricity as we continue to grow and take on new therapeutic areas and new pipelines and we you know we're what are we based in? in alberta Um, Quebec, Ontario, Nova Scotia, and then um, throughout the U.S. So I see us potentially expanding into the West, and because of my location in Calgary, being able to kind of spearhead and be an on-site point of contact for the growth team for sites that grow in the West, um, and just see where all of these new... It's really exciting to see the trials you've been working on finish and get a drug to market and help even more patients. So I continue to see myself having worked on trials and worked on therapeutic areas that have real world impact for patients over time
0: okay thank you so much taylor for joining us today on on the brain podcast it was very nice to have you with us and hear hear your uh, journey from academia into industry
1: thank Um, you i anyone who ever wants to reach out or even just come and hang out with me and work for a day and see what it's like um i'm always open so yeah you can message me or message trevor he'll put you (laughs) perfect okay
0: thank you